Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning. It was really foggy this morning. (laughs) Had it been just a little chillier... Thank you all for bearing patiently with us, with me. So, over the next couple of weeks, two weeks ago, Marion introduced for us the idea of justification by faith alone. And so he kind of started pushing that rock up the hill a little bit. And we're going to continue that over the next couple of weeks as we talk about, in this short sermon series, what we call the five solas, the alones, if you will, of uh, the Christian faith. And these alones rose out of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. This year is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther going to the door in Wittenberg and nailing his famous 95 theses to the door, which sparked and kicked off what we now call the Protestant Reformation. And so, because it's the 500th year and because it's just a great opportunity for us to spend some time looking at these, what we would just call the essential truths of the Christian faith, another way of talking about the solas of the Reformation, we're going to this morning be talking about faith alone. We already did them, we, we said them, but in case you're, uh, you're wondering what the five of them are. So, faith alone, which we say, which the Latin, right? Okay, sorry. The Latin that they use is uh, sola fide. So you'll see that sometimes, F-I-D-E, sola fide. And then sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. Um, we'll be talking about that next week. Christ alone, or sola Christus, grace alone. And then finally, to the glory of God alone. So this morning, we want to talk about faith alone. And this, it's the central idea, really, that sparked the Reformation movement. And that was Martin Luther was, uh, was a young man. And around 1507 or so, he had already done what we would call a bachelor's degree, and he had been in school. His father wanted him to go to law school, and, um, and he had a, a harrowing experience with a lightning bolt strike. And, um, and through that experience, he had essentially said one of those things like, God, I will do whatever you want me to do for sparing my life. And, um, and so, uh, he felt this call to go to the monastery to become a monk. And so that's what he did. He went and he became a monk. And during this period, right, Luther is really wrestling in his heart. And the central question that Martin Luther kept asking was, how do I know I'm right with God? See, so Martin Luther had this really big concept of who God was. He knew God was a holy, righteous, just creator and judge, and he knew the God of that he had read about and heard about in Mass and those sorts of things. But he wanted to know personally, intrinsically, like me, 
how am I right with the Creator, with this God that I know about? And so that was this driving question in Luther's life. And so as a monk, he he was doing everything. I mean, he was working himself literally to the bone, you know. Um, He was doing all of the extra duties. He was self-flagellating, so he was beating himself. Uh, He was depriving himself of physical wants and desires. He, He was... He was taking all of the commands in the Bible and he was saying, I am going to fulfill those. Because by fulfilling those he had been taught and he believed, then I'll be right with my Creator. Because what my Creator wants from me is perfection. He wants me to be holy as He is holy. And so I'm going to deprive myself of the things that I want, and I'm going to do the things that God wants. And so that was the trek that he was on. And um, and he had a he had a mentor, uh, Johann von Stoppitz. My German's terrible, okay? Something along those lines. And he noticed that Luther was really troubled in his heart. And so he surmised, well... Perhaps if I give this young Luther more to do, it'll get the big question out of his mind and and he will become more at ease. And so he told him, uh, Luther, you need to become a priest. And so he went off and he became a priest and he can, and then as in his, uh, in, in all of those priestly pursuits, he began to teach. He, he had an a- academic career, really. And it was through his teaching and his study of the Word, specifically a couple of books, the Psalms, interestingly enough, not the place that we normally think of that we're going to go to learn about salvation by faith alone, but Luther saw it there. And then the book of Galatians was really instrumental for Luther and his beginning to understand, hold on a second, maybe all of this working isn't really how I'm right with God. Maybe, maybe it happens another way. Maybe it's by faith. And that's where we're at this morning. Listen, I hope you've asked the question. I really do. I hope that you've thought in your heart, Perhaps it's happened some, you know, perhaps you've been out on a boat on the lake and, and it's, it's the evening. The, the sun has gone down. The, the moon is, is not out. And you look up and you see all of those stars and you're just awed by it. And you think to yourself, there's a God. There really is a God that you, you can't have this beauty. Or perhaps you've been to the Grand Tetons or you've been down to the Patagonia, or you've been to the the Gobi Desert. You've been somewhere else. Maybe you've just had your feet in the sand and the beach. And you've seen the power of the ocean. And you've said to yourself, there's got to be a God. I mean, look at this. Or, Or perhaps you've looked at your hand and you've seen, you know, your fingers and that that opposable thumb that's so amazing. And you've said to yourself, I know there's a God. Some way, somehow, I hope you've asked the question, 
How am I right with that God? How can I be made right with that Creator? That was the central driving question that Luther had. And listen, he was a unique breed, no doubt about it, right? He really was unique, and he was just at the right time. But I hope that that is a question you've asked. David in Psalm 19 says, we all ask it. He says, there, when we look into the night sky, there's no voice, there's no language where the, the amazing voice of God's creation is not heard. And he said it resonates in every person's heart that God is there, and we know He's there. And so I hope you know, and I hope you've asked that question. Perhaps you've asked it, and you're way far down the road, and and you've... You've submitted your life. You've said, listen, I believe, I trust by faith in what Jesus has done for me. Perhaps you're at the beginning of your journey, but wherever you're at, there's a passage that I want to take you to this morning that I think will be of great encouragement to you. And it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. I'll tell you, I really wrestled. I wrote about five iterations of the sermon before I finally decided on Philippians 3. Right? There's Romans uh, five, one to two, which kind of was where I originally thought we would be. There's uh, Romans 3.20. There's the pa- any number of passages out of Galatians. It really is everywhere. But, but Philippians 3, 3 through 9, seems to be kind of the most natural outworking of asking this question. How am I right with God? Now let me set the stage. So for the Apostle Paul... There was a similar controversy that was brewing amongst the young church at Philippi. And, and, the, and the controversy that was brewing was that there were people who were saying, no, you have to be this and you have to be that and you have to be the other and you have to be doing these things in order in conjunction with your belief in this Man, Jesus, okay? And so they were taking Old Testament language and, and their beliefs and they were marrying them with this new person, Jesus. And so that was the struggle that was occurring. There were people there that were saying you still had to be circumcised in order to have a, a real genuine faith and those sorts of things. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing that issue in Philippians chapter 3. And that's where I want us to pick up. And we're going to begin in verse 3, just for the sake of time. In verse 3, Paul begins, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Verse 7. 
But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for your word, and we want to ask as we come, as we meditate upon it this morning, that the words of my lips, the meditations of our hearts concerning it would be acceptable in your sight. And Father, we do pray that you would work genuine faith and our hearts, and that you would increase it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first thing I want you to see, is that in this passage, Paul pinpoints our fundamental need. Now I'm going to tell you, um, there are, these never, sermons are a compilation for me, okay? They're a compilation typically of people that I'm reading and people that I've heard. This particular passage, especially, uh, years and years and years ago, when I first was really growing as a young Christian in the early 90s, I was a part of a tape lending library that John MacArthur had in California. And the way this worked was you would order the tapes, they would send them to you, and then when you returned those tapes, they would send you the next batch, okay? And so it was their tape lending library. And I'll never forget listening to John MacArthur preach this sermon, because it was the first time that anyone ever highlighted a word, and it's the word in the passage is scubula, okay? It's the word that's translated rubbish, and I'm just going to tell you, that's a really that's a poor translation, all right? Some of you some of you know what I'm talking about. I can't use the word in public worship this morning. But dong is about as far as I'll go down the road. And I remember going, wow. It was so exciting and so enlivening. And then years later, um, I heard Tim Keller preach the same passage. And those two together have just, it, it's... It is, quite honestly, my favorite passage in all the Bible, and I love it. So I'm just giving you that by way of background. Paul, right here in the passage, really pinpoints for us our fundamental need. And our fundamental need is to be known. Our fundamental need in, in life is to be known, and we're known by virtue of our resume, who we are, what we've done, right? So when you meet someone, typically what happens is there's a bearing of the resumes. Just in a, just in a casual relationship, you just kind of share who you are, where you've been, and what you've done. I've had lunch with a lot of you, and typically I ask you, so how did you end up here? What did, what, what did, what did you do in your previous life, or where were you, and, and what do you do? Oh, you you kind of give a basic rundown of your resume. And and you don't talk about the time you got fired. You you You... You highlight, you don't talk about the jobs you didn't get, you talk about the things that you did do. And so 
we kind of have this driving desire in our lives to be known by these things. So, you know, when I give my resume uh, and I talk about churches, um, my resume goes something like this. Well, out of seminary, I went to Louisville, Mississippi, and I pastored there for three years. And it was a wonderful church, and we loved it. And we did love it. We really did. But there were some things we, we didn't love about it, and, and my heart was yearning for um, something, it was yearning for the military, because I had come to faith there, I had grown up there, I, I had looked at that possibility before I went to Louisville, and so after three years, as a, and a young pastor, I wanted to grow, I wanted to go somewhere else. Now, on my resume, I don't always give that level of detail. And I don't tell you about the things that I was frustrated because I want you to have a positive glowing, oh, he was moving up and moving on, right? And that's the way we write our resumes because we have this driving need to be known and known well. Just yesterday, Jody and I went to the park. We took Kylie to the park. And while we were there, I met this guy. Uh, and his guy and his wife were there with their two little kids. And so we got to talking. And it was interesting because he said something very similar. He said, I asked him what he did, and he said he's a chemist, and he works in Covington, and there's a there's a new uh, place there, and and he's he's a chemist. He you know does this and that with little strands of DNA. I don't know, but he does really smart stuff. Okay, and so we were talking about all of this stuff, and he said. And he said at one point, he said, you know, our world is really small. He said, if you mess up in our field, the chances are you're going to have a hard time getting hired somewhere else because there just aren't that many of us. And so what he was saying was, in our field, you can blow your resume in a heartbeat and it'll be hard to get on somewhere else. Well, you all know that. Right? That rings true to us. We have a resume. We want to be known. It's a fundamental need that we have. And, and we all have this ideal in our head that we want to be known as and by. And, and we will judge ourselves by that. Let me give you a for instance. And I, I may have told this story before. But when, when I went back into the Air Force as a chaplain, okay, um, I went back in and we were, we went out to Idaho and we were there. And I told Jody when we went in, I said, the one thing I'm going to have a really hard time with is I'm, ex- I'm very competitive with people that I work with. And so I said, it's going to be really hard for me. And so we got there and it was really hard for me. Um, and I got there right at the same time as a Baptist brother did. And... Um, now, at this point, I had pastored for three years. I'd been a youth minister for four or five years. But I didn't have enough ordained experience, and so I came in as a first lieutenant. And I had to be a first lieutenant for one year. My Baptist buddy showed up, and he had been ordained as a youth pastor for over seven years. And so he showed up, and he was a captain right away. Oh, oh it just it stung. It hurt. But... That was okay, because I got the service. So we had one service, and I was given that service. And so I had that service, I preached that service, and he was doing student ministry and several other things in the chapel. And um, and one of the things that comes along early for a young company grade officer is, is what we call squadron officer school. And so, yeah, so 
SOS comes along, and um, and so it's our first time to put in our packages for squadron officer school. And and what you really want as an Air Force officer is you want to get sent to, in residence to those schools for a chaplain. For a chaplain to get an in-resident slot to go to the school is like your silver bullet for major, okay? And so you really, you really want it. And so my buddy Steve put in his package. I put in my package, my resume. And he put in his resume. And he got it. And it hurt. It hurt because... I saw, I felt like that was, you know, my resume was judged as less than his. Even though I was a much better chaplain than he was. <laughs> I love Steve. We, we, we have made up, alright, I made up. Because what happened was he actually got the base level slot. When the, when the ACC slots came out, I got one of those. So anyways, um, but but those two resumes together got judged, and when they were judged, it hurt because I wanted to be known as that guy, and I and I and I wanted to feel special, and I wanted to feel like it was all okay, and that I was doing exactly what I should have done. And we're, listen, we're all different. Your resume, right? You have it. It's there. You know what it is. You know what would impact it. You you know what would say. You you know if. X, Y, or Z happened, you would say to yourself, I'm a failure. And you would think to yourself, people are looking at me, and when they look at me, they are seeing failure because this, right, box wasn't checked. Um, it, I, I don't know. So just take Jody. <laughs> this is, take Jody. So she teaches online school, right? And, and she's a wonderful, she's an amazing teacher. She really is a great online teacher. And all of her classes always fill up. And so maybe in her mind, the resume for her, part of her resume, you know, part of the pain would be if somebody else's classes filled up before hers and hers didn't. And she would say to herself, why, why didn't my classes fill up? Why didn't, you see what I'm saying? And so we do this and we judge ourselves by this. And these are the, these, you know, this is the way in which we Open doors, this is the way in which we go through life. And so that's an aspect of it. But Paul drives it deeper than that because he says, right, that we don't just want to be known by one another. We want to be known by who? By God. We want to be known by God. And so the natural tendency then for us is to bring our resume to him. We bring it to one another, we bring it to ourselves, we do it to ourselves. And so it's natural for us then to take our resume and to hold it up to God. And that really, so that's a fundamental need. Paul then exposes our real problem. And here is our real problem. Our real problem is, and this one's, this is, this will scare you a little bit, and you're, and you're not, but trust me on it for a minute. Our real problem is not sin. That's not the, that's not our real problem. It is, it's just in a little bit, a little different context. Paul knew that he was a sinner. Paul knew all of the things that he had done wrong. 
If you look at Paul in a different passage, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about, right, knowing his sin and understanding the sin struggle of his life. So he knew that. He was intimately acquainted with his own heart. But you'll notice that when he comes here, right, in this moment, the real problem is that he is inclined to hold up to God, not as sin and say, I'm, a, you know, God, I'm just a worm. What Paul is saying here is his real problem was he held up his resume to God. Because look at what he says. He says, now in verse three, it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by spirit. And then there's this little where he said, who boast in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's the positive. We're the ones who are boasting in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, that's that word flesh has two connotations to it. He's referring to the circumcision argument that you have to be circumcised to be saved, but he's also referring to it as the person, the flesh, as in me, my, the substance of who I am. And he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day, right? The law was fulfilled. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes to remain loyal to the throne of David to to the end. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, the idea there is... he. He wasn't a convert. He hadn't come over. He wasn't a, a Hellenistic Jew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It was it was part of he he came out speaking Hebrew. He grew up. He studied. He knew it. He was that person. Then he says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. He was incredibly zealous for the cause. And then he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That doesn't mean he was sinless. It means there wasn't anything that you glaringly obvious you could come to him and say, hey, you haven't fulfilled this deal. And the Apostle Paul is coming and he's saying, listen, that was my problem. My problem was... That those were the things, look at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. See, those things at one time were my resume. Those were the things that I was banking on, that I was holding up to God. Because what he says in verse 7 is, whatever was to my profit, I now, now consider loss. But back then I didn't. Back then I struggled with those things and I held those things up. Let me ask you this. You, a lot of y'all have been in church. How many of y'all have ever heard a confession where somebody comes and they says, well, you know, I was just cruising along in life and um, I went to church three times a week and uh, I got baptized when I was seven. I said the Lord's Prayer pretty much every day. I had a quiet time every day. I have I have journals. I have 15 years worth of journals. I journaled every single day. I um, I, I helped out at the local food bank. Uh, I I was uh, you know you name it. 
But you know what? I woke up one day and I realized those things were all rubbish. When was the last time you heard a testimony go that way? Have you ever heard testimony that way? No, I've never heard one like that. In fact, what I usually hear is the exact opposite, and it is, those are all the things I've done. Listen, I, in our new member and the inquirer's class this morning, I gave a little bit of my testimony, and I'll never forget being asked in the laundry room, did I, was I a Christian? And you know what I did? I started giving my resume. I started telling him, yeah, I went to church, and my mom and dad went to church, and we were Methodist, and then we were Baptist, and then we were Nazarene, and then, and so I gave my resume, and he still looked at me, and he said, no, how do you know you're a Christian? You see, that's typically the way uh, it goes is, I was a really bad person. I did a lot of really bad things. I rode motorcycles, I... I drank, I smoked, and I chewed, and I dated somebody that did too. (laughs) And then I quit all that. I stopped doing all of those things, and now I'm doing these things. And we give our resume. Right? Paul says, I was all of these things really good things. And then he says in verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. See, that's the problem. The problem is trying to be good. The problem is trying to say, this is what I've done. Judge me on the basis of what I've done. And Martin Luther was going through life and he was grinding it out. And he was saying, look at what I've done. And he heard back from heaven, Crickets. It's said that Luther would go into the... He he was so focused on a sin and ridding himself of all of that and of doing these things. He would go into the confessional and he would be confessing with the priest. And by the time his time was up, he would be confessing sins that he committed while he was in the confessional. So what does Paul say? Paul says, all these things, all these things, I consider them loss. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. We'll talk about that in a second. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he says that, I consider my resume as a heap of dung. And it really is as strong a language as you can get. I considered it garbage that I may gain Christ. We want to be known by what we've done and what we've what we don't do. We want to be known by a resume. We want God to know us by a resume. Tim Keller recounts a story that's told by Someone, I don't remember who. And it's essentially about a missionary who uh, was in the field, and they weren't a terribly good missionary, per se, necessarily. And and the story is that they were meeting with a chieftain, so uh, an older chieftain of this tribe. 
And he had been developing the relationship with the chief. And so they sat down and they were going to have this conversation and they were going to talk about. The missionary thought they were really they had gotten to the point. And so the chief, let me get this straight. So what you're telling me is I can't go around killing people, cutting their heads off and shrinking them anymore. The missionary said, that's that's right. Can't can't do that. He said, so what you're telling me is I can't go and I can't rape and pillage the local tribes around us. That's right. Can't do that. And I can't steal their wives and bring them back and make them a part of my harem or whatever. That's that's right. Can't You can't do that. And she says, well, I'm already a Christian. Because I can't do that stuff anymore anyways. I'm too old. So he has this, how many of us though, right? I'm not doing any of that stuff anymore. I, I've long passed all of that. I'm doing good things now. Paul says, yeah, any of the good things that you're doing, I can tell you they're rubbish. And here's the final point. Paul doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just tell us that our resumes are rubbish, right? And listen, you gotta build a resume, kids. <laughs> gotta build a good resume, okay? Don't hear that. But notice what he says in verse 8. He says, I considered everything lost because of the what? Surpassing worth. The surpassing greatness. There was, what he says is, there's something that eclipsed my resume. There's something that eclipsed all of that other stuff in my life. And that surpassing greatness is Christ Jesus. Now here's where the faith part comes in. Because he says it down here, right? He says in verse 9 that he wants to be found in him. Found in him. And then here is the most critical phrase. If it's not underlined and starred and X'd in your Bible, do it. Not Having a righteousness of my own. That's the key. I want to be found in Christ by faith, not having a righteousness of my own. Not having a resume that I'm holding up. Let me ask you a question. If you don't have a resume to hold up and if you don't have a righteousness of your own, then what in the world is going to commend you to God? He tells us to be that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And then, as he goes on, that which is that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, that is that encapsulates exactly what Martin Luther was struggling with. He, he, he wrestled, he said, I can't do this. And you can't. And that is the message of the gospel. Jesus can and he did. That is, that's the message. The message is it's not your righteousness, it's his. His righteousness put into your account. His righteousness written into your resume. It, Here's, here's the way it is. It's as if 
Your resume is there and it's blank. And Jesus has his resume because he lived his entire life, the book of Hebrews says, he lived, he was tempted in every way yet without sin. So he did everything perfectly. And it's as if his resume, we do a cut and a paste and we insert it into yours and then it's presented. And God the Father says, yes. But how do you get there? By faith. That's the most amazing part of Christianity. That's the stumbling block that everyone trips over. Hold on. You mean by faith? Yes, by faith. By trusting in the work, that, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When you rest in that, when you trust that His work is, is the way in which God receives you, the Bible says that is Christianity. That is how the relationship between you and God is restored. When you finally say, my resume is rubbish, I'll take His, thank you very much. And God says, okay. I'll count his work to your account. And that's how we're made right. That's what Martin Luther discovered. That's what Martin Luther found out. All my struggling, all my striving, all of this work. And what he finally came to see was that he had to give up striving and working and struggling. Instead, he had to believe He had to believe in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And that his work, his resume, was enough for God to be satisfied and to receive him. Listen, as we head into a new year, are you you there? Is that the place at which you're at? Are you still struggling with the resume deal? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to rest It's a challenge to find comfort. Listen, it doesn't make all of our problems go away. But I can tell you this, that when you have confidence, you know that God... I had a good friend years ago, Claude, great guy. Claude was newly coming to faith. And and thank the Lord we do not have cell phones when I knew Claude. Because every single day, Claude was calling my phone and he wanted, to, he, he was desperately struggling with his salvation. How do I know that I'm saved? And at the time, all I could tell him was, Claude, you're just asking the right question, man. The fact that you even care about it tells me that you're probably saved. But I wish I would have, at that point, been able to have directed him to this kind of faith. Claude, let go, man. Let go of Are you a sinner? Absolutely. And it's got to be a part of your confession. But let go of those good works too. And trust that the merit of Christ is enough. Are you there? Are you trusting that the merit of Christ is enough? By faith. That's what he's calling us to. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you for the grace and mercy that you've extended to us.
Father, we want to thank you for the person and work of the Lord Jesus. There's no salvation apart from him and his work. So we're here this morning. We're holding on to it. Father, for those that are here that are struggling in that department, I just pray that you would be at work. Allow others to come alongside and support them and encourage them and remind them that all that the Savior's done is enough. In his name we pray.